0: dinners, snackers, and grazers. Yeah, yeah. To On the menu with Ann and Peter Haig. Um, then we're going to start off with um, what has become everybody's favorite, um, or was before the pandemic, everybody's favorite um, dining event. The book is called Let's Brunch, and it certainly has become an institution. Um, the author is Belinda Smith Sullivan, and uh, – She'll give you lots of great recipes. Belinda, I often wonder, you you have a hyphenated name, Smith Sullivan. (laughs) Were you like Belinda Smith and then added Sullivan? That's correct.
1: Okay. I I was born Belinda Smith, and then I met this nice gentleman from Mississippi, and we got married, and his name is Sullivan. (laughs) Okay.
0: Very good. Um you no, know, you have a, a, an extensive background. <laughs> Let's first put it that way. You, of all the things you do, um, you, you're, you're a, a chef, an author. Um, I had your book, Just Peachy, but I'm not sure we actually interviewed you with that. But you, you have a, um, a business making spice blends, and you're, which is the most sounding thing, is you're commercially ranked rated pilot that's true. <laughs> you, you seem to be having a lot on your plate as they say
1: well i i do but i just you know the pilot thing is something that just kind of happened along the way it's it's more of a i guess you might say just a hobby or a passion of mine flying and mm-hmm. uh once i got started with it i became you know you you, you start out as a as a private pilot with a private pilot certificate, and then you can add various other ratings and certificates to it. And thing is, if I just kept going and kept going, and before you know it, I woke up one morning and I was a flight instructor. <laughs> and in oh, to no. be a pilot, <laughs> And in order to be a flight instructor, you have to have a commercial uh like a a commercial certificate. So that's how that happens. It's not like so I worked to the airlines or anything.
2: <laughs> so you just kept on going, huh?
3: Yeah, I just
0: kept on going. <laughs> it's not it's really like you don't have a lot of other things to do. I mean, you um, you're living in South Carolina, which I'll come back to in a minute, um, and you you write for various publications, and you're you're an active member of the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is undergoing um, a bit of a shakeup right now, right?
1: Yes, yeah,
0: that's correct. I, I don't know if I heard the latest. Is is he in or out? What?
1: Well, in on the way out.
0: <laughs> okay. All right.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I'm Well, really, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I haven't been really following it. That you know, that much myself. I mean, there's just so many other things going on that you can't possibly keep up. You know, with with everything. But yeah, there is a a bit of a shakeup going there. <laughs> Well, it's that's, going on... It's,
2: is that is that edge, Lovie? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's the times where... I mean, this stuff's been going on for such a long time, but the times seem to be ripe um, to, to actually call some attention to it and do something about it. Yeah. I mean, you have the James Beard <laughs> reviewing that they're not... <laughs> Absolutely the, the the Lord of all creation at this point.
2: <laughs> there were a lot sure. of sticky fingers a lot of sticky fingers in the till there, weren't the Yeah, well
0: over the years there certainly Everybody were Everybody
2: always wondered where the money went.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with this two year exploration. And we're, anyhow, we're, we're going to be talking not about all this gossip, but I always love all the gossip. That's probably why I'm interested in the industry, because it, there's always so much gossip. I mean,
2: oh, yeah. Always something
0: going on. But we're really going to be talking about your book called Let's Brunch, A 100 yeah. Recipes for the Best Meal of the Week. Well, you know, I'm. I first of all, I, I've never liked brunch. <laughs> I never liked
2: brunch at all. So there's a challenge for you, Belinda. <laughs> you,
0: well, you no, know, I. I think actually it's
2: Get it. Get on it. one
0: hand. Well, on one hand, it's you know the all that alcohol in, in the middle of the day it kills the whole day. You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and then the other part is that you eat so much food it kind of gets you rhythm for
1: eating you're not,
2: you're
1: not yeah especially at the uh, buffets. that's why I, I actually stopped going to the buffets because really you it's it's as if you become a different person you just can't stop yourself it's there and you feel that you have to consume most of it <laughs> yeah yeah uh,
0: tell me what loss about it you still,
2: you yeah on
0: Belinda's still on
2: yeah.
0: uh, hello Belinda
1: yeah you're there
0: So, who did you lose, Rabbit? Me. But back to brunch. I mean, you actually make it look so attractive. (laughs) I'm almost tempted to start it again,
1: you know. And you know, the reason I wrote the book is because, first of all, there is this huge popularity and following for, for brunch. But it's kind of. It's almost gotten to be so popular that it's difficult now. Uh you've got long wait t- <laughs> wait you know, long wait times, you've got crowded venues and let's face it, brunch can be expensive, especially when you go to the buffets. I wanted to provide these easy, diverse recipes that people could use at home to entertain their family and friends and take the stress and most of the cost out of it. It really is an easy way to entertain at home and for some reason brunch at home with just a few family and friends is so relaxing. Well, know, it's,
0: yeah, it's, um, but
1: it's a lot of food. These recipes are so easy. And a lot of them you can make ahead the date or the night before. So there's uh-huh. less for you to do, you know, when your guests arrive. I call it being a guest at your own party. Well, so right, that's right, right. Yeah. You know, well, this, um, I'm looking at this.
0: It's fixated in my head for some reason. Is Your salmon asparagus quiche was so pretty. I saw it. Yes, yes, yes. I
4: looked so
0: good. This is getting getting very complicated. Okay, Asha, we will talk to you at at 2 um, o'clock Eastern time.
4: Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you then.
1: Okay, Uh, Belinda. Sorry for this confusion. No, that's okay. I've done the same thing with the different times. You know, with the different time zones and everything. Oh, you know, I mean, we
0: get involved with this all the time with the time zones. I mean, I just uh, noticed that uh, there's always a a gap between when the UK goes on goes off of daylight savings. And when mm-hmm. the U.S. goes off, they might say, so it's the difference between four hours and five hours. Or is oh, yeah. it the reverse, whatever. And then, I mean, you try to to deal with, um, Australia. And, <laughs> and that's pretty funny. Because it's like at 4.30 one day, it's breakfast time for for the Australians. And anyway, he alright, so we're back to, I'm talking about how beautiful that, um, uh, the, um, the quiche. The asparagus.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, yeah. And, uh, so, but,
1: but, you, you can do a lot of this in advance, you say? Oh, yes. All the, like the quiche, the frittatas, the stratas, you can make all of those ahead of time. Uh, uh-huh. and just rewarm them the next day. Even things like the biscuits or the breads. So there's a lot you can do. Even the, uh, beverages. You can make the mixers. Oh, your I
0: beverages do. are wonderful, by the way. I mean, yeah. looking.
2: Well, the, the other thing is, if you if you make them the day before, you can take a slug in the afternoon. <laughs> so, so you can make it a two-day drinking brunch.
1: <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> yeah, we
0: can tell that, right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I remember uh, doing a a brunch where uh, for some reason we were having banana daiquiris, and I kept sampling because I'd never made them before. I kept saying, by the time the guests came, I was bad. <laughs> <laughs> that could
1: happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, looking at yours, you have, like with the rest of your book, you take um classics a lot of times and then uh, make them your own. Right yeah. just a little twist. mm mm-hmm. Um I, how do you do that? I mean what, what goes through your mind when you're doing
1: that? Hmm. Wow, that's a good question. I I I love the classic. I love like reaching back and pulling something like oh, I'll give you a good example and it's in the book. The uh crab crab Louis. Always love crap, oh yeah, crap, you do that, And something so like that, I yeah. have to put it in in the book, and it's just you know mixing up the spices or the or the herbs in it, or you know, as you said, giving it just an updated twist i i I like that I mean, there are just so many things that were around years ago that have kind of fallen by the wayside that you never have anymore, like one mm-hmm. of my other favorites it's not in the book, but something like chicken Kiev oh,
2: right oh yeah yeah yes.
1: yes, yes. <laughs> You never see it anymore on a menu. So I've started entertaining with it lately.
2: Well, it's no, hard
0: I, to eat. You know, know. I, I mean,
1: it. to get
0: that, I mean, I've, I've bitten into that and burned my tongue. I've bitten into it and had butter on that. It's easy, it's easy to hand. wear. Yeah, it's easy to wear. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: but I, I, I like doing that. I, I like holding on to the old things that worked, but just giving them an update you know a facelift as Mm -hmm. well you know i was interested in your panettone
0: grand marnier french toast um somebody sent us a panettone and um we're we're, peter eats sweets i don't really eat many sweets and but um we were having a dinner party and and i had this and i had frozen and it was real high high high-end quality and uh, mm-hmm. so we we figured out we could actually use it for dessert, so what? I think I put out some jam or something like that, and everybody was gobbling it up and I found mm-hmm. out later
2: Peter had doused
0: the thing with what was it rum
2: <laughs> we well, you, you had to do something it was awfully dry it was awfully dry looking. <laughs>
0: I thought people had just discovered this wonderful new panettone.
4: <laughs>
0: they were all drinking the booze on it.
2: <laughs> I've never been. I've never been fond of panettone. it
0: yeah, looks. He he looks. It
2: looks, looks, so, looks so good, but it's awfully dry.
0: Yeah, but see, she you know when she's doing this, she has it soaked with Grand Marnier, and she makes oh, it in French toast, and she's mm-hmm. got berries, and and it's gorgeous.
1: Mm-hmm. That's worth eating. <laughs> yeah. And you see this, the photo of the bourbon uh,
0: syrup? Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: That's just, you could sip that. It's, you know, I, I, some, somebody sent us, because we get a lot of products, you know, and somebody sent us um, authentically southern butter biscuits, and I didn't pay any attention. I put them in the freezer. And I, I forget why I pulled them out. And I got hooked on them. I ate the whole package. <laughs> i had forgotten how it had been so long since I had biscuits. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up with them, but, I mean, I never made them or anything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And they're easy to
1: make, you know? They're um, easy to make. I have a box. <laughs> I knew how to make them.
2: Do we still have a box? We still have a box. Pillsbury. Pillsbury biscuits. <laughs> Well, that's uh, like Thomas's why. English muffins, which are uh, which have never seen England in their whole lives. <laughs> my mother loved it. Yeah, you know, we had another friend who liked Thomas's English muffins, and I said, "But they're not English." <laughs> no. Uh, now, that's no. something I
1: need to try my hand at making English muffins.
2: <laughs> you, you should really make crumpets, but uh, you don't. You don't see crumpets anymore. Yeah. No. no, you don't. Hmm. We used, to we, wear to say, we used to have to have trumpets. Yeah. We used to have when 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 I was in college, we would we would uh, we would line up for a middle of the afternoon a, pra, a prandial, if you like, in the middle of the afternoon with putting putting trumpets on a fork and toasting them against the gas fire. Mm. And then and then you put the butter on, and the butter runs through the holes in the crumpet <laughs>
0: Yeah, the the, the there's so many things that have kind of gone out of fashion that you resurrected through this book, huh?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm um, glad you 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 like the book, and I hope you will pick it up and start doing brunch again.
4: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> it's a, if I could figure out how how to do it with um, without taking killing the whole day cause you. You can't do anything after you do that. Now you give some reasons for the popularity of brunch or how it came into being, but um, with no decision on it. It's a very southern thing, is it not?
1: Yes, brunch is very, very popular in the South. It it's, it's a, a way for people to. Gather after church services on Sunday, and to go out and you know fellowship together. So yes, it it it's deep seated or deep rooted in in the South brunch. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So no, but you weren't born in the South, were you? No, I am actually. I was born and raised in Chicago, but to oh, well, I thought you were from New York. No, in in Chicago to Mississippi parents. So I spent all of my childhood in the South during the summers on my grandparents' farm.
2: Oh, you're okay. a farm girl, yeah.
1: too. Oh, yeah. And, of course, uh, well, my mother was raised on the farm, and she always felt that children should have the farm experience so that they could really see where their food comes from, that you don't just go to the supermarket, you know, and pick up this stuff that someone is actually growing these uh, vegetables and they're, you know, uh, raising the, the cows and the chickens and the pigs and the things like that. And she was right. I'm glad I had the experience of, you know, mm-hmm. of of I, I that life. Yeah.
0: I agree. I mean, it's amazing how little um, children know about where their food comes from. I mean, it's it's amazing. Although a lot of children are watching um, these food shows on TV now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know our grandkids watch them.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it okay. It was evident when I went to culinary school several years ago, the classes were packed. I think we were just in that trend where everybody was getting into cooking and the uh, the culinary schools, at least the one I went to, was, I mean, sold. I mean, there was a two-year wait list for students to get into Johnson & Wells at the time. You went uh, to went Johnson to- & Wells. So where, which one? The uh, Charlotte campus. Charlotte, okay, and that's
0: close
2: right? There, there was one yeah. in Charleston, wasn't there? And then it closed. Oh, no, they
0: closed the Charleston one,
1: the and, Charlotte and moved to sort of to Charlotte. Yeah,
2: I know and the chefs. The chefs were all the chefs were all upset. And the Charlotte chefs, I mean, the Charleston chefs were all upset because they got no apprentices.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I know so that that was part of the, the point. And of course, uh, all the culinary schools here and, and where we are in Pittsburgh are closed now too. Mm-hmm. and um yeah I mean it's it's it and then of course, everything's changed i mean i I don't think we'll ever get back to where we were with this restaurant boom and uh i'm not I'm not so sad that that this whole myth of the celebrity chef has gone by, though are you
1: uh, is it really i i don't I don't think that there are as many. But I think that there'll there'll be some that will that will always be you know popular and and around oh, you mean the chefs themselves right yep, the
0: yeah chef. but i'm I'm talking about the concept most everything seems to be associated with um things like food insecurity, um, and security um um mental health of chefs um yeah. yeah diversity is a big one um mm-hmm. the, and, and and there's so much work to be done in all those areas. I don't yep. know that there's room for much celebrity these days.
1: Yeah. What do you think? So, I think you're right. Uh, and, of course, like so many other things, we we lost a lot of chefs, uh, if you remember last year. Some to scandal and, you know. And then others, oh, yeah, lots, you know, lots of
2: scandal, huh? Now what, what's yeah. happening in what's happening in Charleston? Our friend, our friend Mike Mike Lada is still going strong, I'm sure. I don't know him.
1: I I don't live in Charleston. I live oh, you don't
2: live in Charleston? The, okay.
1: No, I live on the other side of the state. I live in what's called Peach Country, <laughs> Edgefield County, which is where, uh, well, Edgefield County is the uh, Peach Capital of the South. That's where I live. I'm far away from Charleston.
2: Oh, okay. All right.
1: Yeah. You know, our our kids lived
0: in um, at Greenwood for about six years, so
2: we spent some
0: time there. In fact, I I will be a heretic and say that I think that um, actually South Carolina peaches are better than Georgia
2: peaches. <laughs> well, and everybody, in Gre- everybody in Greenville sure told us that that was true too. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: We are proud of our peaches around here. <laughs> well they're good. They're really good. They are. And this year they were oh my god, they were just so sweet and juicy and we just couldn't get enough of them this year. Versus last year it was a so so kind of a crop, but this year was just incredible.
0: Well, I guess I'm not on the list to get any of those nobody's giving me any peaches.
1: <laughs> now I'm these The prices are
0: outrageous, and they're all hard as a
1: rock. Well, they're shipped to the supermarkets intentionally that way. They're shipped about ten days before they're ripe to eat. So you buy them and you take them home, you set them on the counter for about three days, and they should be perfect.
0: Yeah, unless they rot, which is (laughs) what they tend to do. You know, there's a thin line. (laughs) Well, Belinda, it's a a tough time for... um, for chefs and for cookbook um, authors and um, I I wish you much success with yours and um, you you probably inadvertently um, inspired me to to give it a shot (laughs) to have brunch.
1: Please do. Please do.
0: (laughs) Well thank you for talking to us Linda. Well well, thank you again for having me. Okay. Again listeners, the book is Let's Brunch. 100 Recipes for the Best Meal of the Week. And the author is Belinda Smith-Sullivan. Thank you, Belinda.
4: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: Our next mm-hmm. guest has such a busy life that it's no wonder that she really focuses on doing cooking that's uncomplicated. Uh, the book we're talking about is Dinner Uncomplicated. Um, and I don't know how this woman does everything she does. Uh, let's just listen to some of her ingenious ideas for simplifying. It's, it's, it's Claire, Tansy. right?
2: Claire yeah, Claire, Claire Tansy. Tansy.
0: We've interviewed her before. Tata, Claire Tansy is making a repeat visit here, a repeat appearance on, on the menu of radio for she's just on January, um, and all of a sudden, she's produced another book called "Dinner Uncomplicated." Was that uh, one or two years ago you did uncomplicated?
3: It was two years ago, yeah, 2018. Two yeah, it right. feels like yesterday to me, but yeah, apparently. It was well, two years time
0: is really peculiar mm-hmm. these days. Huh? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think there are many people who are actually going to really be rescued <laughs> uh, by this book. Um, I I I read through the 15-minute section very carefully because I couldn't believe any of these recipes were done in 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. But you have some ingenious ways to shorten prep time, Mm -hmm. such as something I I used to do, actually, although I haven't done lately, is you buy rotisserie chicken. (laughs) You don't have to start cooking from scratch.
3: Yes. Yeah, and there Um, are lots of other little shortcuts that you can use, um for example I discovered that you can just buy chicken uh fillets like chicken tenders
0: tenders yeah. so they're just
3: they're like small pieces of chicken so you don't even have to chop them uh, uh. you can just start the recipe with with those so uh, there are lots of little uh, little shortcuts that you can take um that can really cut down on the time it takes between walking into the kitchen and then sitting down to dinner
0: yeah well, you have all these lines have you the way you divided up your book, which is kind of ingenious, is according to like the the number of minutes that you have to cook and Exactly. That, yeah and so um and, and and you get into some more elaborate ones, but um you know your question, what's for dinner boy, my life was <laughs> I was going to destroy my life for a while, what's for dinner <laughs> Mr. Peter traveled, and he would call on his way home from the airport and say, what's for dinner? <laughs> well,
3: and I, I feel the I, same way. You remember and when if I if called some... for
2: dinner and I said, I said, what's for dinner? And he said, chicken. I said, is there enough for Sir James as well? Oh, yeah, he brought him a pier. <laughs> he was, he was a pier. He, <laughs> he, he, he was like a celebrity, celebrity guest. He, he,
0: <laughs> I had on
2: jeans and we were having chicken. <laughs> He, he was he was actually a, uh, a, a client in the oil, in the oil and gas business for the firm he sure was for at the time. And, <laughs> oh boy! Uh, and he got he got his knighthood from a rascal called David Lloyd George, who was the prime minister, uh, mm-hmm. who 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 loaded the House of Lords with peers just because he could. And he, and he gave, <laughs> Why not? He gave him power. He gave him power over the Commons, and I, I think he charged too. Oh boy!
0: Anyhow, so so that's the the way the book is set up. But you also have probably the most valuable um, advice in in these little sections where you tackle the big issues um, of like the one that got me was the one I was faced with. Is the whole thing about family consensus? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are two. Yeah, I mean, there are two really big deals when you have a family and you want to have dinner at home every night. Which, of course, I grew up that way, and I wanted us to be that way. One is when everybody has a different activity in a different part of town, town at a different time, and the other is when you involve these people. Who have different tastes and preferences and and um, prohibitions on food, and so you talk through that, so what are some of your ideas about that?
3: so it's a it's a big deal, and it is something that I know a lot of families uh, it It makes dinner either feel not worth it or certainly it makes dinner feel not very pleasant when you sit down at the table. And whether you're constantly, uh, you know, having to scold a teen for having their phone at the table. Or oh, whether... we never
0: allowed that. No screens at the table, no phones. <laughs> right.
3: right. Or, you know, the other big thing for families is it's not an expression I like to use, but it is out there, which is that we have picky eaters. Um, and, of course, children, as of the age of three, you know, realize that they can control what they eat, and uh, they typically do. Uh, and so there is um, there are a couple of different ways around that, and the one that I share in the book is the one that we really used in our house. Here, I have an eight-year-old now, but uh, many years ago, we, we wanted to make sure that our dinner table was always a happy place, um, and not a place of power and manipulation and fighting and that kind of stuff. Right. So we just serve our meals family style. Uh, You serve yourself, no matter how old you are. And it is our responsibility as parents to provide the meals um, and have a pleasant environment. And it's our son's responsibility to decide how much and even if he's going to eat. And so we don't have anything like, oh, you have to have one bite to be polite, or you have to clean your plate. We don't have any of those rules. We never
0: did that either.
3: Yeah, we just want the table to be a happy place and not a place of power. Um, and I wouldn't say it's paid off in that my son doesn't have a massively broad palate, but we do have a great dinner together every single night, and that is way more important to me.
0: Well, I think that's brilliant. I mean, we we have. Um, I mean, when we had um, when we were raising uh, kids and. Whatnot, and my mother lived with us, and Peter's family is in England, and they would visit for extended periods. And oh, uh, yeah, it was all came back to me when I had a dinner party uh, about I think it was January of this year. And I thought, this is a throwback to when I had all these people with different tastes living in the mm-hmm. house or staying for so here's the dinner party. Um, there were what. Was it eight Eight people. Eight of us all together. Eight, eight all people. Together. And uh, there was a yeah, non-meat eater uh, who didn't like fish, uh, A um, one who would eat fish, but she wouldn't eat, I forget what. I mean, it, it went through like that, but it was like a nightmare for me.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it's almost impossible to satisfy everybody, isn't it?
0: Right. I mean, I remember having a dinner party where one guest, um, the only thing that he ate was a small piece of steak. He didn't like cauliflower. He didn't like salad. He didn't like this. He didn't like that. You know, I 'd known him all these years, and I, and I didn't know he didn't like all that stuff. So do you suggest that you ask people's preferences or just do what you want to do?
3: Well, it would be different if you're having a dinner party from if you're just having a regular family meal. Regular family meal, you just do you, and I say always make sure there's something on the table that everybody will eat, whether that's bread and butter or, um, you know, plain vegetables with dip. When it comes to a dinner party, um, I think certainly you, you need to know your guests, um, and then I like to be uh, sort of strategic about it. Uh, one thing that we my my husband and I love to do for dinner is a full proper roast beef dinner, um, English style with all the your with oh, really, all the tri. And we won't invite people unless they take their beef the same way that we do. <laughs> so, oh, wow. we've well, learned sure, over the years okay. which of our friends like their beef rare, like we do. Because you don't want to go to that trouble and then have someone show up and say, Can you put my beef in the microwave? till <laughs> it's all the way cooked through. So we've sort of learned that kind of thing over the years, and so we we craft our dinner table and our menu in accordance with who's going to be there um, and The other thing that we can do when we know we're going to be serving a lot of different people who have a lot of different tastes and uh you know i've I've had that experience of finding out half an hour before someone comes that she didn't eat uh meat or uh dairy
1: or gluten uh, yeah. <laughs> right
3: um i always think that a beautiful um a way to go with for that is a beautiful mediterranean spread and in that beautiful spread, you can have lots of salads, some of which are made with grains, some of which are just vegetables. You can have a piece of roasted meat or grilled meat as well, but which is an option. You can have lots of bean dishes as well with lots of beautiful, bright flavors. And that way, people can pick and choose from a buffet, and you still feel like you're offering a gorgeous spread, um, and, but you're also catering to everybody's tastes. To me like and That's the ideal,
2: op- I think. It sounds to me like there will be an option called this particular guest is on a diet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, you, you, you do a number. First of all, I, I think people are discovering something uh, during this pandemic, and that is the value of a larder.
1: Talk to mm-hmm. us. You
0: did talk in your book about what you consider good sources for that.
3: It's so true and something we really realized at the beginning of the lockdown and that's when we saw so many grocery stores run out of kind of pantry staples. But I think it's actually one of the smartest things you can do for yourself is to stock your pantry in such a way that you can whip up dinner without having to go to the grocery store. One of the top five roadblocks that people experience in between, you know, a normal day and making a homemade dinner is that they don't have the groceries on hand and that you don't have time or you don't want to go to the store. So when you have a certain number of things in the pantry, and it'll be different depending on who you are, you know, my 10 essentials might be slightly different from yours, then you can uh, always have something that you can make sort of a back pocket dinner. My personal ones, I always have pasta or rice, I always have cheese, I always have canned beans, some frozen vegetables, garlic and onions, good cream. Uh, canned tomatoes, and whoa, my my controversial uh, pantry staple is dry white vermouth because I use it to make sauce. I do. We do. That's part of our pantry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't seem to keep a, a bottle of open white wine in the fridge. Somebody exactly. well That's <laughs> exactly why we went to the
1: vermouth. <laughs>
3: But you'll find people have a lot of different pantry staples. You know, maybe it's um, good tuna or or uh, maybe it's bacon in the freezer. Um, you know, something, like I said, so that when you know that, that you can lean on that. You can always make dinner, no matter what else the day has thrown at you. Uh, without going to the store, you can still have a delicious home-cooked dinner. And that's going to be better for you mentally, physically, financially, for the planet, and for your family relationships than going out or ordering in. All right.
0: Now, um, you you're big on eliminating waste too, which I guess
3: everybody's paying more attention to
0: these days.
3: <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it, and it makes me crazy. I, you know, I, I work, This is my business. I cook for a living. I am a home cook for a living. Um, and so, it, sometimes it does seem inevitable that there's going to be waste in a busy working kitchen. You know, you use half of your head of kale, and the other half just somehow passes away at the back of the crisper. <laughs> so um, I have a, a couple of different ways of tackling that, and it's really just what I try to do myself. The first one is like planning. I really now have found the, the benefit in planning my meals so that if I do use that half a head of kale on a Monday night, I have a plan for the other half on the Wednesday or the Thursday night. And that way, Yeah, you're
0: big on I meal plan, planning, which I wanted to yeah. talk to you about a little bit more, but go ahead.
3: Yeah, well I'll just, I'll just, a few more things about waste, just in terms of if you have a plan, and I'd love to talk more about that, you're not gonna buy those impulse buys at the, at the grocery store, what I call aspirational ingredients. You know, I always seem to think I need an extra jar of sauerkraut which is just not true. <laughs> I end up you know, finding it at the back of the fridge. Another great thing to live by is to eat your vegetables according to your she- their shelf life. Like delicate items like salad greens and fresh herbs, they need to be eaten fairly quickly, whereas something like cabbage or some carrots, they can last in the fridge for much longer. So you can always, you know, if you do a shop at the beginning of the week, eat your salad greens first and eat your cabbage uh, later in the week.
0: Do you know how many people don't understand that? It always <laughs> amazes me that people don't understand that.
3: <laughs> I know. Well, well. Here's another another big thing that I actually have to remind myself as well. So it's to actually eat from the fridge and pantry. You know, there is stuff in the freezer and in the pantry. And instead of going out to the grocery store to get something for dinner, why not eat what's there? <laughs> it seems so obvious, but it, it is, does bear
0: repeating, yeah. Yeah, well, we're kind of fortunate because people send us samples all the time. So we always mm-hmm. have something and we have
2: something in a jar that we can use. <laughs> yeah, we, we might even get a box with, with live lobsters and lobster tails. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, was, we there, thought was, there was there lobster tails. That was a recent win. A recent win but, <laughs> but sometimes you have to help people along to comprehend the situation. So we've been dealing with a place called Chef's Garden. Which is mm-hmm. just just across Lake Huron from from your neck of the woods, mm. and their and their business was supplying fine restaurants with measured measured to length microgreens and all kinds oh, of, yeah, all kind of
3: things,
2: chefy mm-hmm. kinds of things. But the first order we got from them, we got we got a lot of carrots <laughs> and, and beets, and then the next time we ordered, we got a lot of carrots. And the next time we ordered, we got a lot of carrots. So, wow! So, so our file is now marked no carrots. <laughs> at least, at least we think it is. Cause, we cause have we a had, freezer full of beets Well, you have to dig some beets out. We I need, I need to, I need to cook some. They were cooked, weren't they? Yeah.
0: So, but you also, you, you really appreciate the freezer. I I know. A lot of people. Well, my whole family they they canned everything, and I mean, oh, you really? talk about mm-hmm. not having the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I wouldn't tackle canning though no, I didn't have to, and so I found that you can freeze things just as easily,
3: if not more easily. And me it's too. um, it's yeah, and it's it was a real revelation to me to have meals in the freezer ready to go but also to have what I like to call the building blocks of meals so instead of having uh, you know, a batch of chili uh frozen in the freezer, um, you have a batch of tomato sauce that you can turn into a number of different things. Or one of my favorites to make at this time of year is a basil pesto. Um so if I make a pesto and then I divide it into sort of four packages and put them in the freezer, then I can take that pesto and, you know, turn it into a chicken and, and we always have a base.
0: staple and I make yeah. at least one Enough for one double batch per month, so I'm short sure this year. I only have five double batches so far, and I have a whole garden full of basil.
3: So, <laughs> yeah, but it was but, a
0: good year for but, basil.
3: Hmm? It was a good year for basil where oh, yeah. I live. Well, it was not a good
0: year for a lot of it was, other it was, things. However, it was a good. One. It was a good year for weeds too. But
3: it's <laughs> spectacular
0: for weeds and uh, our tomatillo vines died, and I mean, it's, it, was, it was awful. I don't know how you can have drought, and at the same time, your weeds are flourishing. I've never seen such Mm -hmm. big weeds in my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. Half of them, I can't even name what they are. Mm -hmm. But back to your meal planning, you Mm described, I I laughed, uh, you divided up these, just from talking to people, I guess, different types of personalities Mm -hmm. and their (laughs) approach to meal planning. Can you run through that list? Yeah, it's hysterically I, funny.
3: Well, I found because I when I realized that meal planning was a big was going to be a real savior for a lot of people, including me. But I I bristle at rules myself, so the idea of writing down what I'm going to have for dinner every night for the next two weeks makes me feel like I'm in handcuffs. So I did a lot of research and I found that, yeah, that's one way to meal plan. I call that the classic way of, you know, on a Sunday you write up your list of meals for two weeks, you go out, you do your shopping, and then you stick to the plan. That's great for people who are quite organized, who have predictable schedules, but it's not necessarily the way for everyone. And I discovered four other ways of meal planning. One that I like to call the camper. Um, And the camper is based on the summer camp model um, where you have a theme or a protein for every night of the week. So you'd have, you know, Taco Tuesday, Chicken Wednesday, Pizza Friday. Um, and in that way, the the recipes can change from week to week, but the themes uh, repeat. So every Friday's pizza Friday, and maybe one week you have a uh, you know a vegetarian pizza, and the next week you have individual little breakfast pizzas for dinner, and then that sort of thing. So you can mix it up a little bit, but you still have a bit of a framework to get you over that hump of trying to figure out what's for dinner. He just still remembers
0: brilliant. his family dinner schedule, the camp schedule, from you when know, it was he
2: the, it was growing the same up. It was the same every, every week for 15 years until I, <laughs> yeah. I, I left home. Wednesdays and liver.
3: We, oh, yes, liver Wednesdays, of course. Um, <laughs> and, and, and,
2: and, it
3: can it, be a fun meal. It, like it, was, it,
2: was, it wasn't like it was very good. <laughs>
3: It can also be though fun to a fun way to unleash your creativity if Wednesday instead of being liver Wednesday is a one pot wonder Wednesday and then it can be <laughs> one pot wonder every yeah, you, week.
2: You, you, you missed you missed, you missed the point. <laughs> 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 See, he wasn't so thrilled
0: with
4: it.
3: <laughs> <because> <laughs>
0: His mother was a horrible cook. I mean, honestly, my dear, my dear late mother-in-law. I hate to say it, but she was really a bad cook. Oh,
2: <laughs> she could ruin, she could ruin a vegetable just by looking at it.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: mm. um, but she was good at trifle. She made good desserts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's she made, always she made
3: good. Nice.
2: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Now, um, let's get back to something about your personal life. I mean, I, I really love the, the fact that you've done so many different things, mm-hmm. including you were a professional s- singer, right?
3: Uh, yes, and a professional actor as well.
0: <laughs> actor too.
3: Yeah. Okay, tell uh, us, just tell know, us, just tell a, us a
0: little bit about your background.
3: Well, I, I grew up in a family that really loved to eat, um, and really my mom was an extraordinary cook, and so I... Both of my grandmothers and most of the other women in my family, um, that every meal was some sort of celebration, and certainly every celebration centered around a meal um, and When I went off to um, to college, I decided to study theater because I, that was my interest in performing, and I never really thought that food was an option for a career. Um, So, you know, because it was so much a part of my life, I never really thought of it as separate and something I could study. But while I was at school, I, um, you know, needed a part time job. And so my part time jobs were always in the food world and restaurants and that kind of thing and cooking and so when I graduated with an undergraduate degree in theater, uh, which is surprisingly not useful, uh, I thought, well, what am I <laughs> Look, I have I'll one do? in our
0: history, so
3: <laughs> talk right? about new, <laughs>
0: not useful, Yeah,
3: unusual, yeah. It, has a, it has a particular kind of use, but um, at, at that time I thought, well, I, what I'll do is I will get my apprenticeship as a chef, because I've done all this work um, in my little part-time jobs, why don't I make it real, you know, get real, and really become a chef, um, and so it was at that time that I really made the switch to consider leaving theater and performance. I had been uh, I had been in a band, I had been in a professional improv troupe for four years, um, and I yeah, I switched my life over. And it was using those um, late nights instead of being down at the clubs performing, I was in a restaurant <laughs> cooking. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and it went from there um of course uh, as a Um, So many people know who work in the restaurant industry. It is a fickle business and is not really great for the long term. Uh, And so after several years, I decided to go back to school and get a master's degree in literature, intending to become a teacher, and uh, could not, unfortunately, resist the pull of the kitchen. And so I felt Mm -hmm. really torn. Um, And um, it was at that time that I was uh, reading a magazine, and I saw in the the masthead at the front where they list everybody's jobs that um, there was such a thing as a test kitchen and so I moved I'm, I live in Canada and I moved to our big city Toronto to try to get a job in a test kitchen at um, National Women's Magazine and, oh uh, gosh! it was eight years later that I got the job <laughs>
2: and
3: I became the food director at Canada's biggest um, magazine and so there I had an amazing test kitchen um and we were you know a great team, and we were producing recipes we produced um and tested recipes every you know every month every day we were just just cooking and eating and testing and tasting, and it was
2: wonderful. <laughs>
3: I love Toronto's restaurant scene, anyhow. Yeah. I don't know what it's like now. Well, I mean, now, (laughs) in the middle of a pandemic, it's very different and very quiet now. Do
2: you think Um, it's going to come
3: back? Oh, I think it's going to be very, very hard. It's really nice now in the summer. We, you know, everybody's out on the patio, and the the regulations here in our city are that you can eat on a patio. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that when our winter starts to set in, um, it's going to be very, very tough. We've already seen so many restaurants close, yeah, and so I think that too. so many of you them are not in are our, Chicago, our LA, yeah. you everyone. Yeah. Be, anyhow runs on such well, narrow margins that it's so hard to make a profit even in the twenty five percent capacity is what they just see around I mean, it's awful. yeah, yeah.
0: um yeah. one more thing here um you talk about joining um your group it, it, just tell us um your your website is claire Tanzi's kitchen
3: the website is clairtansy dot com um, but the cookbook group is actually, we, we host it on Facebook, and it's called Dinner Uncomplicated, which is the title of the book. And that started as a group of people who were actually the home cook testers for all the recipes in the book. So oh, okay. every single recipe in the book has been tested by a non professional home cook at least twice. Um, and that's how I, you know, it really helps me to believe and know in my heart that the recipes are going to work as well for you as they do for me. And so that group uh, started because people were sharing what they were making, and that was all very secret because I have a book out yet. Um, but now we've decided to open it up and invite anybody who's cooking from the book to come and join us at um, Dinner Uncomplicated and underneath Facebook in groups. And uh, you get lots of ideas and tips, and uh, lots of fun and support. Which is a, it's a great, wonderful little community of home cooks who are all just doing their best, trying to get uh, you know a tasty home cooked dinner on the table most nights of the week. And
0: listeners, believe me, Claire Tansy, if um, she can teach you that you will understand that you can actually do this, So she will encourage you to believe mm-hmm. that you can do it. So. Uh, check out Dinner Uncomplicated by Claire Tansy, subtitled Fixing a Delicious Meal Every Night of the Week. Thanks for joining us yet again, Claire. Our next guest has a nickname that's very cute. Her name is her real name is Tara Bench, but her her name and her her uh, uh, web name is Tara Teaspoon, which apparently she got because she's very petite. But she's a giant when it comes to living life deliciously. So that's her book and following her direction, you could do that too. Well, that's good. I'm, I've resisted, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Uh, we're, we're talking to Tara Bench about her um, first cookbook, Live Life Deliciously. But uh, the name she goes by uh, is a Tara Teaspoon. And I asked your publicist, scary Bachman, why not Tablespoon? <laughs> I, I mean, it, I thought Tablespoon seemed better and is bigger.
4: Well, I'll tell you the story. And thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, yes, Tara Teaspoon came about when a, a friend many years ago, um, I was, in the food publishing industry, and all my friends and everyone knew me as the the cook, and I, I was immersed in food, and she said, I'm going to call you Tara Teaspoon because you're not big enough to be a tablespoon. Oh. And if you know me, you know I'm I'm about 5'2", if that. And uh, so I'm shorter than most people, and she just thought it was more fitting.
2: <laughs> well, well you're about my size. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, anyhow, um, you're, you're in this for the long haul. You've done so much. Just tell our listeners a little bit about you, – you came springing out of a, a home environment where your mother was a good cook, and you cooked from an early age, uh, and you went right into apprenticeship when you uh, – uh, Martha Stewart lived. Well, I'm telling your story. You tell it. What all have you done? <laughs>
4: Oh, well thanks. Yeah, it's it's been a fun and interesting journey. I, I did, I grew up cooking alongside my grandmothers and my mom especially and when it came time to go to college and choose choose a direction in my life, um my parents were so wise and they said, Study what what you enjoy because you'll be working in that field for many, many years. And I mm-hmm. did that. I went into food science and about a year oh. into it, I realized, I am not a chemist, and this is not cooking. <laughs> and no, so I, um, I switched mid-college and found a culinary arts program and loved it. So uh-huh. my major was culinary arts. And funny enough, I still realized I didn't want to work in a restaurant or be a chef. And so I explored all the different options that I never knew existed and found myself applying to magazine Test Kitchens and uh, became an intern at the Martha Stewart Test Kitchen um, many years ago, and that was the catapult that took me into food publishing and editorial, and I love it, and I've always loved it um, and have had some great experiences in that world. Well, that's great. I mean, most of us have gone through a whole range of different
0: things before mm-hmm. a- ending up in, um, a- as I did, in food journalism. <laughs> you know, um, yes, but yes, you say you, yes. you 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 uh, cook and eat for a living, and I say I eat for a living <laughs> rather than the cook oh, part.
4: Hey, I say both are good. That sounds like a good good life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well,
0: anyhow, you seem to be having a good time. And um, this this cookbook, um, you, you really – you can tell that you're a trained food stylist because everything you make is really beautiful.
4: I mean, Thank you I... put
0: in potatoes. I'm, see, I just opened it up automatically to the cheese and herb potato gratin where it, it – I mean, it looks – it How
4: did you get us to look like that? (laughs) Looks
2: good enough (laughs) to eat, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, thanks, Peter. Um, And that's one of the things that in the book I try to share with people is just one little change can elevate the look of a recipe um, and a, a simple potato gratin turning the potatoes upright and arranging them instead of layering them flat on top of each other Changes the look and makes it exceptional. But guess what? It's all the same ingredients. It's the same baking uh-huh. time. Um, and yes, I I learned so much about food styling um, from other editors at Martha Stewart, and then did it myself, and just hands on for many years and experimenting and uh, working in different styles and with different types of food, and you you learn what looks good in a picture and what looks good in real life and uh, how food uh, falls onto a plate and what looks appetizing. So it, it all plays into um, things that I talked about in the book. Well, of
0: course, I mean, do you do all those – I mean, I've been on many a photo shoot for food because I, I work for city mm-hmm. magazines and food sectors of papers and stuff. I mean, do you use all those tricks because – I always felt bad when the shoot was over because we couldn't eat the stuff. They put so much crap on it. Right. I, mean, I wouldn't t- touch anything that was left over from a photo mm-hmm. shoot. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you do that? And
4: sometimes. I'll, I'll say sometimes because it's, when I'm doing consulting work and I will uh, food style for an advertisement or an okay. editorial or television, that's often where you will play around with tricks like Crisco for ice cream and yeah, Elmer's food you know. for milk. You know those, yeah, the old food styling tricks. Um, and those still, those still play into certain types of food styling. Um, but I, I use real food. Um, the melting ice cream in my cookbook is is real ice cream, and we ate it afterwards. Um, awesome. But I it's do beautiful. There are things. There are certain things. That enhance the look of a food for photography, uh but I keep it very simple, and I like to eat the food after we shoot it, so it's just dabbing on a little olive oil to bring sheen or um you know scripting something, a salad with water to refresh it, things like that that you can do if it's not sitting under studio light forever yeah well this is this is the problem, of course. <laughs> I mean, I think mm-hmm. that it was a cover story
0: um, for a city magazine, and it was um, a, a salmon. It was oh, it was healthful dining. That was it, and so we had um, a salmon main on the cover, and, and the editor just, or the publisher actually just freaked out because <laughs> he said, "Ooh, fish on the cover!" Oh no! But I'll tell you, it was hard under those lights to keep this fish looking good.
2: That that, that was the fish you didn't eat, right, love? No, you're going to eat that one. (laughs) Remember, you told me you didn't eat that one.
0: Uh, We don't eat any of the stuff. I mean, the stuff they coat with, the the shellac, you you name it. But anyhow, um, Mm -hmm. back to your book, Um, just along the lines of what we were talking about, I've never seen a coconut cream pie look so good in my whole entire life.
4: Oh, thanks. It it doesn't look like a coconut
0: cream pie.
4: (laughs) Not your typical. Well, that was one of my um, sort of food styling tricks, is it is your typical cream pie, and just by using a different sort of pan and piping the cream on, it takes it to a whole new place. And then Um, the
0: coconut
4: things on it too, slivers. Oh, yeah. Big, big, beautiful of shavings of coconut. Yep. And, you yeah. know, when, when we make it as a family for Thanksgiving, we use whatever coconuts in the freezer and it still looks good. We spread the cream on in dollops instead of piping. You know, you can still make it your own and it's still beautiful in its own way. So, yeah, just a variation.
0: Well, let's let's talk about the, the book.
4: And as
0: we said, it's your first cookbook. You've gone a long time without writing a cookbook, haven't you?
4: I have. Yep, it's been many years in this industry without doing my own thing. So,
2: so, so, now what, so have. what made you? So, what brought you to the altar then? Uh,
4: you know, I've always wanted to write a cookbook, and have I think many for many reasons haven't uh, pulled in a different direction, starting my own business or working at different magazines. And life gets busy and it just gets put on the back burner. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
4: But always in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, wouldn't that be good for a cookbook? And um, a few it's years a lot ago, of work.
0: I mean, how many years? Oh, you know, I, mean, I did so one for two years or two yeah, and a half years. Or something.
2: Ta- Tara, if you'd, if, you'd, if you'd asked Anne what it was like, she would have said, don't be so stupid.
0: Can't do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got. I got.
2: I got to live with. I got to live with a cookbook for two for two years, and the the the, the paper. and insisted on on printing each draft as it went along. Oh no! No, we so, had so to do that. By by the time the uh, the the draft was finished, it was three feet off the floor. Yes. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, I, it, it it is a
4: lot of work. It's yeah. Mine took about two years as well. And uh, you know what I'm realizing is, um, after it's done, there's also a lot of work. There's the publicity and the um, um, yeah. pre-orders I, and the book launch planning. And so it's it's been a process and it's been an interesting learning process. But I am happy happy to have it under my belt and and really happy to have been able to share my personal recipes in that way
0: well you know the the contents let's talk about the contents and the organization um the uh, you you explain pretty much in your introduction uh, your your attitude about eating and food Mm -hmm. and uh, then you you have your different chapters and um, the, and they're, they're not revolutionary. I mean that you 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 start out with the chapters that work, and and it, it's all the essential things. And people call it different things. I know, um, you know, the equipment and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, how is yours uh, different from the gazillion yeah. other cookbooks that have the pantry and the equipment?
4: Mhm. Good question, and you know, there's how many cookbooks out there, so that is a great question, how is mine different, and one of the biggest things is it's personal, you know, it's personal to me, and that's what makes it different, but those chapters that I start with, my recommendations for equipment in your kitchen and and things like that are from my experience, and if people want the experience of someone who's been working in test kitchens for 20 years and at magazines and sharing recipes with millions of people, then that's what they're going to get. And that's what makes mine unique to Mm -hmm. uh, someone else and their background and their experience. What's fun is the pantry section. I really, that was sort of a last minute ad. And I Mm -hmm. realized as I had written the book that I used a lot of ingredients that are common in my pantry and my freezer and my fridge, but not as much in other people's and so I wanted to tell them what are kind of the new pantry staples the new items that you should have on hand and so I I was happy to be able to add that
2: so what so what are some of those Tara
4: well things that bring out sort of global flavors in your cooking or changes like I use sumac and turmeric and sweet chili sauce, um, rice wine vinegar. You know, we all have balsamic in the back of the pantry, but uh, just different things, sesame oil, um, making sure you have yogurt. We all, we cook so much more with that ingredient now, which is more so instead of sour cream. <laughs> right, yes. And, yeah. and even switching the frozen peas and carrots to something different, like have a bag of frozen artichokes in your freezer at all times. They're great in pastas and roasted dishes and skillet, you know, side dishes. That's they the only out.
0: item that I buy from Trader Joe's, by the way, is their yes. frozen artichoke yes. hearts.
4: I get them there, too. They're so good, and they're always available, which is nice. Yeah. But, you know, having people think about their supplies, their shopping, their pantry, and their recipes just a little bit different so that those new new habits, form instead of staying in our rut. That's what I did.
0: Well, you know what we've been doing? Because uh, the pandemic has changed our shopping habits totally Mm -hmm. in every direction. Of course, poor restaurants have suffered enormously. But so did retail food. All of it is different. And so we've been actually, um, we've had a lot of guests you may have noticed from our our, um, um, archive a lot of guest companies uh, or suppliers who have for the first time in their lives had to start marketing not to chefs and restaurants but to the home cook consumers. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing a lot of that and it's kind of amazing to see what what's out there where you could get online.
2: Yeah, people, people are really helping us out. I mean, we, we have this set of how would you call them? They're not grand spices. They're sort of grand, grand mixtures, like oomph. Mm-hmm. The name of the product is
0: oomph. Oh, that's
2: a good one, too. Yeah, there are things and,
0: available that are just and amazing.
2: Oomph is, oomph is fabulous. I mean, oomph. oomph it's like you have a palette, a new palette of flavors that you can introduce instantly.
0: Yeah. Right, and there's like right, are, Yeah. Boite, you know, it's with you in New York. Oh yeah, um, no, that's great stuff. With their spices, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm I'm also in love with um, uh, what's it called um, Burlap and Barrel. Have you tried their spices? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous. Well, anyhow, so there's a lot going on. I mean, I think the whole food scene is changed up. And I'm not sure it'll ever go back to how it was. So, but you yeah. start with bites, dips, and snacks. And you're a person who likes to to nibble, I think, right?
4: <laughs> I do. And I have friends that like to nibble. And family, that's, sometimes you make a meal out of that. Yep. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think the people. environment will change. And not only grocery shopping and Having more interface with with chefs and and the restaurant world as they sort of um, shift their own paradigm. But I wrote this cookbook with the the bite dips and snacks as sort of a way to entertain. And now our entertaining is also looking different. And well, yeah, I mean, so, what you do? <laughs> mhm, mhm. So so, um, so things are changing. I think it, it's still. You know, families still get together, or you're maybe quarantined with a small group, and I love the thought that you can still make special food and have special moments without gathering a huge group together. <laughs> yeah,
0: I liked your idea about. I never even thought of um, a butter board with baguettes. I mean, I did a oh, whole. Oh, it's one
4: of my favorites.
0: Oh yeah, I did a whole article on. Um, butter is back, you know, (laughs) uncultured butter and stuff like that, and um, I got really into it, and uh, wonderful, butter is wonderful.
4: Mm -hmm. Yes, I am so glad you love it too. (laughs) That is one of my favorite recipes, just kind of instead of a cheese board, which is always fun and brings, brings people joy, I mix compound butters and serve those with baguettes and it's just a delicious twist on sort of putting that snacks and dips out yeah you've got italian basil butter you've got
0: rosemary olive butter so it's just heavenly Mm -hmm. herb and black pepper butter balsamic caramelized onion butter i mean beautiful and something else that's really um very useful is you have all this little box thing terrace tip for your recipes and, and they're very yeah. incisive you could tell you cook
4: oh well, thanks good I I think that's such an important part of the cookbook is anyone can throw recipes on a page but to really sort of give the reader a sense of autonomy and skill and you know like, like it is tips just makes cooking more fun when you have more information and you feel empowered so um,
0: you you Right. I mean, you go through the usual categories, um, but your components are interesting, particularly your vegetable uh, sections. I mean, you have some really interesting. Um, what was the one that had dates in it?
2: Peter pointed broco- out to me. Oh, that was that was the one. That was the one that. Broccoli was it?
0: Yes, no. broccoli with garlic and dates is just wonderful. Peter pointed I out. Well, was, yeah. Go ahead. You oh,
4: I just—I was going to say I love mixing savory and sweet, and mixing dried fruit into savory things for dinner, and so that was just a fun way to get that flavor profile in. You,
2: you, yeah, had, well, you, had, you had something with you had something with sumac that you saw of, and you yeah. said it also had dates in it, and I said, "Well, doesn't isn't isn't sumac a spice?" It comes from the area where they grow dates, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right? But I but I can't <laughs> yeah, they, I can't remember I can't remember what was it what was the main component of the dish?
4: It was that broccoli, yeah. So it's it broccoli, broccoli, mac and okay. dates. Okay. Mhm. And and you're right that you know those the origins of ingredients play a role in how you cook and putting those elements together, they just belong and they taste great together.
0: You you admit in your um, introduction, and it's clearly evident in your book that you have a sweet tooth, because <laughs> it's the largest <laughs> section of the book is desserts. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of those. They're really beautiful. They're not only oh, just sweet and wonderful, but they're beautiful.
4: Thanks. You, you know, oh, I'm not sure, be sure I like this
0: one. Here's, here's something I don't like, oh, by the way. It's a three-foot-long thing. I mean, I wouldn't put that on a table for anything in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's it never-ending party that, sub.
2: It looks like a Subway my, sandwich uh, on steroids.
0: It reminds me of meetings right. in, in the corporate conference rooms. They always got this big well, and that, sandwich. Well, it kind
4: of was, and That's the funny thing. It comes from that old six-foot sub that people would get for conferences, and it was kind of gross. But how fun to elevate it with really sophisticated flavors and serve your guests this really amazing presentation. So that's where that came from. <laughs>
0: okay, that's I always that it looked, you know, I just was grossed
4: out. <laughs> <laughs> Not your thing. I get it. Not everything's no. gonna hit home. <laughs> but, okay, so yeah. let's talk
0: about yeah. some of your um, some of your sweets now.
4: Yeah, I could have written an entire chapter on desserts. I I do love them, and baking is sort of my stress reliever. Um, Uh But I I wanted a mix for this book, so I just – I picked some favorites. A lot of them are nostalgic, you know, like the vanilla sour cream pound cake. It's just a pound cake. That's just a divine cake. But the way my mom used to serve cake when I was little was with warm pudding and whipped cream. And so I wanted – that nostalgia in my book, but in an mm-hmm. elevated way, in a way that, you know, you could serve now. Um, so some things were were like that. Other things, um, like the peanut butter whoopie pies, it, <laughs> so that's for the really excited baker that wants to make something extravagant and fun and servable. So I have a mix in there, and... Um, some new things some things that are my go-to's when when i go to bake and uh just some classics take takes on classics i would say
0: the, the blueberry pie by the way is very much um a tradition in our family uh, we never had birthday cake we had blueberry pie in fact oh, i just had a, yeah, I had a birthday i had birthday in july and, and my cousin uh, remembered and brought me over even though we were isolated at the time Brought me over a, a, a blueberry pie and left it on the and, and called and said the birthday fairy just left you a present. Oh, <laughs> so I had love it. it. Your recipe is very much like my my mother's. My mother was the master of the blueberry pie, with the um, you you use the uh, lemon in it. Uh, you yes. use yeah, but she actually sliced lemon really thin and put it in the pie. And, and oh, you my use goodness. the zest. Yeah.
2: Well, but that it's the
0: sounds same amazing. Pa- same you know, flavor here. Mm-hmm. So, which, mm-hmm. which of these is your go-to sweet?
4: Oh, which one? I Well, my go-to sweet always is chocolate chip cookies. So, oh, I did a variation. There's a,
0: an article that I was going to read and I didn't. And now I keep wondering what it said. It was online. What's about why everybody likes loves chocolate chip cookies. Why is it?
4: That is a great question. I think you and I both will need to read that article. They are just they're just happiness through and through for me, um, and so I love I love experimenting with them and put a great recipe in the book. But you know I was I was inspired by so many different places. You know, like I said, my mother, my own baking. And I have a whole section of three different nut cakes that originally were inspired by my love of made-a-heater, you know, the queen of desserts, as you well know.
2: Um, mm-hmm. And now, so. Sweetheart, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't they call chocolate chip cookies toll house cookies in England?
0: They, they have to I made. I always, I always
2: wondered where that where came from.
0: Oh, was well, cold back hat. of a bar? Yeah. I, I guess you had a bright. <laughs>
4: you
2: had a bright. Oh, you had a bri- You had a bribe you bri- bri- your way across the tall bridge with, with cookies.
4: Oh, that's a good. That's a good uh, history. That's great.
2: I don't know. I I so I So you're I doubt talking if uh, about
4: your nut cake?
2: So you not. I doubt if it's true. <laughs>
4: right. We'll dive into that history, but yes, Anne. I I um, was just saying that. Uh, My inspiration was pulled from from many places, and my experience cooking recipes from the greats and um, then making my own variation of those. So that's sort of where the the collection of nut cakes came from, and they're just so – they can be elegant or casual. Um, I just wanted sort of some great desserts for everyone. Yeah, well – henceforth
0: the triple chocolate layer cake, (laughs) which you claim you make in a sheet (laughs) pan.
4: Yes. I, I sketched that one day, you know, I think so visually, and I didn't even know what taste it would be, but I knew a cake that looked like that could be easy for somebody, but it looks so impressive. So that one was a fun one to create, and I thought the triple chocolate was, of course decadent so you do you make it in a sheet cake cut it and then pipe dollops of frosting and how easy is that and it looks so impressive it looks
0: fabulous yeah
4: well i i i I think that uh, you did
0: superbly in your first cookbook um and and i hope that uh, i wish you a lot of success with it and for our listeners remember now it's Tara Teaspoon (laughs) on the cover, Mm -hmm. actually. And, um, uh, although her name is Tara Bench. And it's Live Life Deliciously. Uh, recipes for busy weekdays and leisurely weekends and a whole lot of really gorgeous looking, um, presentations. Uh, Tara, much success on your book and, um, continue to have fun.
4: Thank you both so much, and, and I will. And you guys are a pleasure, so thanks for having me.
2: A couple, couple of years, I'm sure you'll be back with something else.
4: <laughs> oh, I hope so. Okay. And we'll,
2: we'll, look, we'll look forward to that. Thank you so much for your contribution to today's program.
0: Well, that's, that's it for today. Um, enough recipes to keep you busy for this week, and we'll be back same time, same place. Next week. And until then...
2: We hope you'll be there, too, and until then,
0: bye-bye.